the book of Micah chapter 6. Micah in chapter 6. I will give you fair warning. I have put myself on the injured list once again. Therefore, hey, I'm an, I am an answered prayer. I thank God. I've always said if I can just get behind this podium, all is good. There's something about just getting behind this place. That means the longer I stand here, the longer I don't hurt. So I hope y'all brought lunch. I, um, I, I will go ahead and tell you, though, there's some stuff called um, hydrocodone and anti-something-something something other. So I'm quite well medicated, so I'll go ahead and say I'm sorry for what I said before I say it. Um, I, I, do want, I do want you guys to help me with some things before we get to Micah chapter 6 this morning. Anybody know that we're all in this together, right? Well, I guess I ought to start by telling you thank you for being here. I know a lot of you out on vacation. Um, you guys appreciate you tuning in live stream and certainly pray for the ones that are out and traveling. And Fourth of July, I hope you guys have an amazing, amazing holiday. Thank you, visitors. I, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you guys out front this morning and be at the door. I absolutely love standing at that door and getting to see you guys as you come in and meet the visitors and all the things is there. But it just kind of wasn't in the cards this morning. But visitors, I appreciate you being here this morning. There should be a packet of information in the pew in front of you somewhere there about. We're running a little low on If you don't see one in front of you, have somebody hand you one inside there. There's a connect card. If you don't mind, if you'd fill that out, maybe just put it on the table out front or drop it in that black box on your way out. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, so back to what I need your help doing. You know, on our, on our bulletin, matter of fact, I haven't looked at this one, but it says it on here somewhere. <clears throat> Should say on there somewhere that changing our surroundings one soul at a time. Maybe I don't see it on this one, so maybe it got left off today, but I will tell you this. It, it is one of the things that we put on, but I want that to be more than a slogan. If that's a slogan, that's a waste of time. Are we changing our surroundings? See, that, that, that's where I want your help. That's where I want your help. How do we reach our Jerusalem? What does a ministry look like that reaches Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? I realize that over there is the uttermost parts of the earth, and we're partnered with those missionaries to reach around the world. But how do we reach Jerusalem? How do we reach LaGrange, Georgia, and make a difference in this town with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you guys remember, not long after I became pastor, we used to do a lot of visitation. We did visitation Saturdays. One Saturday, we had 75 people show up. Remember, I had maps, a stack of maps. And some of you guys, 10 or 12 of you, went to apartments on vans, and you carried pizza and handed out pizza, and you told people about Jesus there at the apartment complexes. And others, a couple of you, would have a, a map that would go take you to a subdivision, and a road would be highlighted yellow, and there's like 10 houses on each side of the road. But when you got to the end, that was the end of yours because somebody else's map picked up, and we had all the subdivisions and communities around here trying to invite people to church, trying to tell people about Jesus. Some rocket scientist, I heard words, said, we're about all I'm trying to do is just build a big church. I just want to build a big church. Well, God bless you. God help you. I guess if that's what it takes to reach the lost, then so be it. But here's what matters to me. There's people out there that are going to hell. And I know how to get them out of it. <laughs> His name is Jesus. There's people out there that are lost and dying and, and, and they haven't heard the gospel. Some may have shunned it. Some may have turned away. But you and I know the truth. His name is Jesus. 
What do ministries look like that'll reach them? Is it just barbecue giveaways? I don't know. It works great. We had, we had judgment journey. God hasn't seen to put that back in the cars. But here's what I do know. I do know that there's ways. I don't think knocking door to door is the answer anymore. I really don't. I don't think a lot of people like you knocking on their doors. I'm not even sure it's safe anymore to just go door to door and do those things. But what there are is there are ministries that we can go out there and do that people will come to us. Maybe we give them a meal. Maybe we give them something. Maybe we provide it. It doesn't make any difference. Whatever it takes to get them to come to us is so we can just tell them about one name. His name is Jesus. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you visit us at Faith. But outside of that, it's all about preaching the gospel. So I want you guys to be in prayer about what, what does it look like. You know, we talked about it last week. It's not about the past. It's about the now. It's not about what we were. It's about what we are. It's not about what we used to be. It's about what we're going to be. It's not about how God uses us. How can God use us? God can use us however we're willing to surrender to be used. So I want you guys to be praying about that. And I want you to do two things. One, I want you to share the ministries with me that God lays on your heart. But don't share anything you're not willing to put hands and feet to. I want you to share ministries that you know God can use you in. Maybe you're the one that heads it up. Maybe you're a part of it. But what I want is for it to be more than just a slogan. I want to reach Troop County, Georgia with the gospel of Jesus Christ and Meriwether and Heard and Harris and, and Coweta and everything around us. I want to reach with the gospel. And we're, we're accountable before God's word to do that. Amen. You guys pray with me about that? Will you, will you pray with me and seek God's will God, show me how to reach this town and, and it become a ministry of the church. We're together? So this morning, Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 6. The word of God says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? The answer to all those is no. That's not what God seeks. That's not what God desires. So what is the answer? Verse number eight. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? I want to look for just a little bit this morning at why, why mercy. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the mercy that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for the grace, the favor that you have poured out among us. Thank you, God, for, for these, your people, God, that we can come together, brothers and sisters in Christ, washed in the precious blood of Jesus, that we might be one. God, I pray you'd touch us this morning. I pray you'd move in this place. I pray your sweet Holy Spirit would speak to every soul in here as only you can do, God. Take this message and divide it however you would. I pray you'd give us vision. My vision. I pray you'd give us wisdom and guidance and direction. God, I pray most of all that everything we do be pleasing to you. We love you, God. You've been incredibly good to us. We thank you for all your countless, wonderful, undeserved blessings that you have freely poured out onto us. God, I pray now, Father, would you teach us this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So last week, we looked at the freedom of worship. We looked at why it is important to worship. I gave you this quote. The essence of worship is to be transformed from what we were to what God wants us to be. 
This morning, I want to look at another important step. If we're going to be the church, if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be, I want to look at another important step that it'll take in changing our surroundings, and that is this subject of mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul wrote chapter 2, verse number 1. He said, and you hath he quickened, y'all paying attention, this is us now, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Anybody remember that? Where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. Anybody remember that? According to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in the times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Anybody remember that? But God. Anybody remember that? But God, hmm, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, on our worst day, in our worst sin, while committing the absolute worst, most abominating thing we could do, Jesus Christ climbed up on an old rugged cross and shed his blood for me on that day. The worst day of my life, when I was furthest away from God, while we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ, by grace, you're saved. You know, it's just, it's just a human nature thing. Some people just love to complain. Yeah, I know, I just threw water on everything. It's easy to identify what we see as a problem, whether it's a problem or not. If it's not our way, then it's a problem. Whether it's really a problem or not, if it's not satisfying to me, if it doesn't suit me, then we, we associate that as a problem. And everybody wants to identify their problems. But almost nobody ever has a solution. They don't come with answers. They just come with complaints. But they love to voice their complaints. Well, I told you all, forgive me for what I say before we can get started. So Tom Rainer, another one of his books is I Will. He gives nine traits of an outwardly focused church. But he says that we can never enjoy true worship if our mind is focused on me. He says, when it's about my needs, my preferences, and my wants, it's hard to find God in that scenario. When it's all about us and not about God, why would we expect God to inhabit our church services? He says, for many who complain about not getting anything out of church, the reason people don't get anything out of church is because of their attitude towards church. The reason they don't get anything out of church is because of their expectations about church. He said, you know, it's funny to me. We don't have to remind people to watch the football game. He said, we don't have to call somebody on Saturday night and remind them to get their children up on Sunday morning if they got a baseball game. We don't have to call parents on Friday night. Make sure you remember to wake your children up on time to have them at the soccer game on Saturday. Here's what he said. We don't have to remind people to do those things that are important to them. Yeah, I, oh me, man, I got all up in the grill right off on a Sunday morning. He says, for many Christians, other activities have become mandatory, while worship has become optional. But we want to blame the church because we didn't get anything out of church. The truth is, everybody is either part of the solution or a part of the problem. There's not a middle of the road. You're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. 
This church will be part of the solution or part of the problem. We want to complain about Troop County. We want to complain about LaGrange. We want to complain about the garbage. Great. Do something about it. Get on our faces before a holy and righteous God. Allow God to use us to make a difference. We're either going to be part of the solution or we're just part of the problem. People just love to complain. Jesus said, Luke chapter 12, verse 48, he said, For whomsoever much is given... Of him shall be much required. One of the things that we have been given great abundance of is mercy. Mm, I didn't even get my, my little piece of an amen. One of the things that we personally have been given an abundance of is mercy. One of the things that the church has been given in great abundance is mercy. Yet the church can be one of the most unmerciful places on the planet if somebody makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. Today, churches, they want visitors to come. But they only want them to come if they look like them. They only want them to come if they fit their little perfection tab. You know, you have a list of personal requirements, how you ought to look, how you ought to dress, how you ought to walk, how you ought to talk. We looked at that last week at, at worship, and, and, and they, they, they want people to come and visit. As long as they meet this list of, of personal requirements, then they can be welcome here. God, please help us not be that church. Please help us not be that church. The gates of heaven are open to whosoever will let them come. And if the gates of heaven is open to whosoever will, then the church of the living God needs to be open to whosoever will. Jesus never shunned anybody. He showed mercy to everybody. Mercy is the opposite of law. Mercy is the mildness or tenderness of heart which causes us to treat an offender. Y'all hear that part? An offender. I, I, need, I need to read that again. Mercy is mildness or tenderness of heart which causes us to treat an offender better than he deserves. Now, I didn't make the definition. I'm just reading it. It is the disposition to forgive trespasses and to forbear punishment. There, there's perhaps no other word in our English language that is perfectly synonymous with, with, with this word mercy. If there's another word really close to it, it's another word that we get out of the word of God and it's called grace. Great grace is, is God simply giving us things that we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding the punishment that we do deserve. So if we're going to be like Christ, then, then we've got to display those things. Mercy is stated as being a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. That means if we're going to be like Christ, then we're going to have to be merciful. Numbers chapter 14, Moses wrote in verse number 18, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving the iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. He says, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even unto now. Mercy is God's free gift to you and I through Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's just called mercy. God gives it to whosoever will let him come. 
God gives it to anybody that will ask for it. Genesis chapter 32. Jacob says in verse number 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truths which thou hast showed unto thy servant. God has given you and I an abundance of mercy. Anybody in here say amen. Anybody in here feel like God has forgiven you for way more than he could have or should have? But yet he does. And yet he can. So, so we've received an abundance of mercy. Now, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about a man. He owed another man a lot of money. And the man whom he owed the money to had him arrested, locked up, beaten. And he said, you won't get out until you pay your money. So the man that owes a lot of money, he goes and he asks for what? Mercy. So he could get out until it be paid. So, so the man that, that was owed a lot of money forgives him of the debt, sets him out, lets him go out on the street. Now the man who owed him a lot of money goes out on the street, finds somebody who owes him just a little bit. And the Bible says he has him beat up and locked up until he pays him all after he's just been forgiven. But in verse number 33 of Matthew chapter 18, the man who was owed the great sum of money and forgave it heard about it. He calls him back in. He said, shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? Even as I had pity on thee. Let me just pause right here. Anybody got anything bitter towards somebody right now? You ain't got to raise your hand. You ain't got to raise your hand. It, it looked like Braves hitting home runs in here. In, in, in anybody, anybody mad at some folks about something? Anybody wronged you and you're carrying a grudge? Not any more than we've wronged God. Not any worse than anything we've done to God. So, so what he says is, shouldest thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. This is the son of God talking. He said, the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. That word pity there in verse number 33, it, it is compassion manifest towards the person in distress. So what Jesus says is, I have shown you great mercy. I have shown you amazing grace. God has had great pity towards you. Therefore, as my children, as ambassadors of Christ, Christians, Christ-like, therefore, we are to have great mercy, great compassion, great grace, great pity towards others. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God said, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus makes a reference to that Old Testament verse. And he said, I want you to go find out what that means. Chapter 9, verse 13, book of Matthew, Jesus said, Go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Oh, there's another word. That word pardon is to forgive someone of something they have done. Anybody still on board? It, it, it doesn't mean that they didn't do anything wrong. To pardon someone means that they did something wrong. You know they did it wrong. They've been convicted for doing it wrong. 
All the evidence is proven that they did it wrong. And even though they are guilty, all punishment is dropped. That's where you and I stand at the throne of Jesus Christ. Guilty is charged. Guilty of all my sin. Guilty of all my wrongdoing. Pardoned. Redeemed. Ransomed. Deserving of hell. Going to heaven. Name should have been added to hell, but erased from over there and added to the Lamb's book of life. It's, it's called pardon. You and I have received this mercy in abundance, and we've received compassion that we don't deserve, and we have been pardoned of the things that we truly did, so that the penalty of our sin has been completely removed through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if we're not merciful, here's the anonyms of, uh, of the word mercy. Ruthlessness, cruelty, inhumanity. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking in verse number 7. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? Matthew chapter 12, also verse number 7. Jesus said, If you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a, a lawyer, he came in to tempt Jesus. And in the temptation, Jesus begins telling him about a parable. And he said, there's this man on the road, and he fell among some thieves. The thieves beat him, stripped him. They took all they had. They left him for dead on the side of the road. He said, a priest came by and saw him. But he passed by on the other side of the road and left him there. He said, a Levite, another one of God's chosen of the Old Testament, came along and saw him, and he left him there on the side of the road. He said, but a Samaritan came and saw him. And the Samaritan picked him up and dressed his wounds, and he, and he carried him, and, and he gave him place. And in verse number 36, Jesus asked the lawyer this question. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? The lawyer answers the question. He that showed mercy on him. Here's Jesus' response. Go and do thou likewise. Have you been given mercy? Go and do thou likewise. Have you been given grace? Go and do thou likewise. Have you been pardoned of your wrongdoings? Go and do thou likewise. That, that's what Jesus is telling us. We looked last week at one of the reasons churches are dying. We looked last week at because the past is their hero. They refuse to let go of the past and allow God to shape them into what he wants them to be now for such a time as this. What we were is what we needed to be. But what we need to be now is what God wants us to be now. Now is for such a time as this. So, so we, we looked at the fact that, that churches were, were caught up in the past. I used the book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church by, by Tom Rainer. He says another reason that churches are struggling, failing, and even closing the doors is because of their lack of mercy. If you want to look at the back of your bulletin, you got you a couple right there you can add to it. One of the reasons churches are having to close their doors today is because of their lack of mercy. People are quick to judge, but they're unwilling to forgive. People are quick to judge, but they're unwilling to forgive. Rainer says, dying churches, they weren't willing to go into the community to reach others. They weren't willing to go out and reach people. They weren't willing to invite the unchurched people into their church, especially if they don't look like they'll fit in. 
They weren't willing to inconvenience themselves for someone else's benefit. Glory to God. You invite somebody here, they might not know no better. They might show up and sit in your seat on a Sunday morning. God bless them. They weren't willing to inconvenience themselves on behalf of others. They weren't willing, uh-oh, they weren't willing to spend the money necessary to do the ministries to reach the community. Can I tell you something? Ministry costs money. I don't care what kind of ministry you do. You may can limit how much, but the, all ministry costs money. And he said churches that failed became so self-focused on keeping everything their way in the church that they weren't willing to put any money into ministry. He said they wanted visitors, but only those approved by themselves. They wanted those who fit the order of their customs. Churches were more concern, concerned about doing church their way than they were about making anybody from the outside feel welcome. They were more focused on keeping themselves happy than reaching the community. He says they wanted their church to grow, but they just wanted it to happen. They, they wanted it to happen without any real effort on their part, and they wanted it to happen without a sincere heart of prayer. Lord willing, that's part three. You can say that one for next Sunday. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says in verse number 1, If there be therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What Paul says is that we are to look after the good of others at least as good, preferably better than we do for ourselves. Rainer said in the book, he said that dying churches are focused on self-preservation. Dying churches are focused on self-preservation. They're focused on their way of doing church and focused only on self. Then he adds this one. Vibrant churches are those that are looking out for the interest of others. They are concerned for the lost, and they are concerned for the community. They're concerned for their neighbors. They're concerned for their coworkers. They're concerned for their classmates. They're concerned for the one that checks them out at the grocery store. They're concerned for the one that works at the gas station. They're concerned for, for the, the cashier that, that comes and takes your money at the fast food. They're concerned for the waiters and the waitresses at the restaurant. They are concerned about people. Churches that thrive are concerned about people. He said one of the great problems with today's church is the lack of mercy. There's another one for your bulletin. One of the problems with today's church is the lack of mercy. The lack of mercy, y'all holding on? I'm close enough to done that you can go ahead and chew on this one for a little bit. The lack of mercy is a direct result of the lack of love for others. The lack of love for others leads to a lack of sincere prayer for others. We pray for who we love. We pray for our lost family members. Why don't we pray for the lost that we don't know? We pray for the sick that we know. Why shouldn't we be praying for the sick that we don't know? So what he says is that, that, that we have a, a lack of love for others. And for that reason, we have a lack of prayers for others. On the cross, Jesus Christ displayed the Father's love and the Father's mercy. He said, Father, forgive them. This is on the cross. 
This is after being rejected, after being arrested, after being beaten, after the mockery of a trial, beaten, strung up, after being crucified on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. In the middle of the most despicable act of human hatred in the history of mankind, Jesus displayed mercy. Jesus saw our sin, but that's not what he looked at. Jesus looked past our sin and saw our soul. He looked past our sin and saw our need. He looked beyond our debt and saw how to pay it. And he paid our debt for us. Sin is deplorable. Make no mistakes about it. Sin is against God. Sin is against holiness. Sin is against righteousness. Sin is against everything that has anything to do with God. Sin is deplorable. But the sinner is valuable. Oh, somebody needed to hear that. Sin is so deplorable that God brought judgment on an entire human race over the first sin. Yet the sinner is so valuable that God sent his only begotten son for whosoever will. The same God who hates sin offered his only begotten son to pay the sin debt for the soul of the sinner. See, one of the problems that the legalistic church has and has faced for years is their view of others who aren't like them. See, one of the problems that we have today and I, and I say we because we ain't outgrown it. We, we, we will not have arrived until the trumpet sounds. We will not have arrived until we see him. And when I shall see him, I shall, I will be like him for I shall see him as he is. Until then, I'm this old sinner in this old sinner flesh faced with this old sinful nature battling it every single day just trying to get by. We have not arrived. So one of the problems that Christian church as a whole has today is they fail to distinguish the difference between the sin and the sinner. The sin's what we hate, not the sinner. Thank God. God hates the sin, not the sinner. Somebody better be thankful for that. That God could love a sinner like me. So one of the problems with the legalistic church is their view of others who aren't like them. You have that key word in there, legalism. Legalism simply means law. It is conformity to law. In the church, much of the problem is that the legalism, much of the law are simply man-made laws, man-made traditions. We looked at last week, the way we've always done it. You can't prove it in the Word of God. You can't back it up with Scripture. But I can prove it because Mom and them always said. I can prove it because what an old preacher said. Every old preacher ain't been right. And he may have been right then. But, but you can't hold man-made laws over people's head and call that religion. Actually, I guess you can. Religion's all you can call it. You can't call it salvation. You can't call it Christianity. Religion's the only word I guess you can have for it. Because that's all it is. It's, it's man-made religion. So, so legalism is conformity to the law. But because man-made law, because this legalism leaves no room for error, then it leaves no room for mercy. You got to be like us if you're going to do anything right. In theology, the word legalism is a reliance on works for salvation. In other words, if you want to be saved and stay saved, you got to do it like we do it. 
If you're going to be saved and stay saved and come to church here, then you got to do it the way we do it. See, that's not what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, here's the problem with the law. Even God's law. Uh-oh, he did what, what? See, if God's law worked perfectly, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. It's not that God's law is not perfect. It's that we can't keep it. God's law is perfect, but because of our inability to keep the law because of sin, then it becomes imperfect because of our lack of ability. The law is simply a mirror, something where we can see ourselves. It's a gauge for where we can look at ourselves and see how far we've fallen. The law is a measuring stick of our failures. Y'all got your bulletin? You ready for me to give you the rest of it? The law condemns, but it cannot convert. The law condemns you, but it cannot convert. The law challenges us, but it can't change us. It points a finger at us, but it offers no mercy. See, at no point can the law offer life. It can only offer death. At no point does the law offer forgiveness. That is why mercy stepped in. The law was already established. The law and the prophets is already there. It's already put in. But the law was something we couldn't keep. That's why Jesus came. That's why mercy stepped in. Anybody in here able to keep the law? Is there anybody in here, if you raise your hand, I need an appointment with you right after church. Anybody in here never committed a single sin since the moment you got saved? Anybody not committed one since midnight last night? See, if we could keep the law, then Jesus didn't have to come. It's just that simple. If one person, one, anyone outside of Jesus Christ, if anyone could keep the law, then that means it's keepable. But the fact that no one can means the law isn't keepable. That's what mercy is all about. I want to share something with you. This is kind of a reflection from, from last week, something I've watched, but I'm, I'm going to share it with you, and we'll be done. This is actually from, from Lauren Daigle. She shared something a few months ago. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it on YouTube. And she shared something, in all honesty, was as if I have the right to have an issue with anybody. You know what I'm talking about? As if I have the right to have an issue with anybody. It, it is. It's, it's an issue I, I had with her a few years ago, you guys gave an incredible gift to Robin and I. You gave us a room up in Atlanta, and you, and you sent us to Lauren Daigle's Christmas concert, and we went with great expectations because the year before that, Katie, our daughter, had bought tickets to the Chris Tomlin concert in Montgomery and cares for that, and it was amazing. By the way, y'all know Chris Tomlin's coming to LaGrange, right? Yeah, I bought my tickets first day. I'm excited. You know why? When we went to that Chris Tomlin Christmas concert, it was spiritual. It, it was holy. It was moving. And we, we loved it. it. It was amazing how much he ushered the Spirit of God into that, to that concert. So we went to Lauren Daigle expecting the same thing. But that's not what we got. We got a singing entertainment. Is that fair? I, I, I don't know that the Holy Spirit was even around the building. If it was, I didn't feel it. 
All, all I saw was some entertainment. So I, I, was, I was quite disappointed. But there's a video. You, if you haven't watched it, you can. It's called Lauren Daigle's Sincere Testimony on YouTube. And she talked about how she, and this explains a lot to me. It truly does. This answers the questions I had about her. She, she said, during my concerts, I wouldn't talk about God because I didn't want to offend anybody. Hello? During my concerts, this is a gospel singer. During my concerts, I wouldn't talk about God because I wanted everybody to feel welcome. Well, apparently the devil did because I went to one of your concerts and it stunk. I didn't go to hear a child of God sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Stinking Reindeer. I didn't go to hear nothing about here comes Santa Claus because I don't care nothing about that fat man in the red suit. He ain't everywhere God is. He ain't all-knowing God is. So I went to hear stuff I didn't go looking for. There wasn't a spiritual song sang. And, and, so, and so she answered the question that, that I had. She said, I wouldn't talk about God because I wanted everyone to feel welcome. But she talks about going into depression after COVID. She said, for 560 days, I was in a state of compression. Uh, compression. I told y'all. I'm going to wind up pretty quick. I feel the medicine kicking in in volumes. My, my mouth's getting dry. Where was I even at? Oh, it canceled her Lauren Daigle tour. I had worked so hard for it and I had such expectations. I'd waited so long. And she said, it canceled my tour. And I was just devastated. She said, but in my depressed time, in my quiet time, when I finally got still long enough, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing some, but, but she said, God reminded me of some things. She said, God reminded me, remember why you always sang. You remember what we looked at last week? Psalms, the Psalms are songs of praise, songs of worship, songs of glorifying God. She, she shared how she used to just sing to, to worship God. And here's what she said. I didn't really know. She said, I'd never sang in front of anybody before. She, she's older in life and somebody asked her to sing in the choir. She said, I've never sang in front of people before. She said, I sang my whole life, but I sang to worship. I just sang because I loved God and I, I wanted to worship and I sang to, to worship. She said, God reminded me that I am the reason you sing. I took what you did in private and I've used it in public. You can't change the reason you sing just because you're in public. God reminded her, how can you speak of love and expect to show people love if you leave love out of the equation? God is love. So how can you spread love if you're leaving God out? She said, <clears throat> the reason I sing was to worship and to worship and to worship. And she said, if you're desperate for a miracle, then worship. And your eyes will become so focused on, boy, this sounds like a whole different person than the one I heard talk. Worship, and your eyes will become so focused on the one that you're worshiping that you don't have time to give fear and anxiety and stress and the things of this world a place in your life. Lauren had forgotten some things. She had not forgotten how to sing. She forgot why she sang. See, here's the reason I wanted to share that with you. Because I think a lot of times we've been in church so long we forgot why we're there. 
I think a lot of times we, we, we've been to church so much that, that we've forgotten a lot of things. We forgot things like that verse of such for some of you. We forgot things like where we were when the Son of God reached down into that mire and picked us up. We forgot what kind of nasty places the Holy Spirit of God came into to save our soul. We forgot the kind of life that we were living before Jesus stepped in and called us redeemed and put a family robe and a signet ring on us and put our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. We forgot some things. We forgot the amount of mercy that it took to save a rotten piece of trash like me. We forgot the amount of mercy that it took to love me in spite of me. We forgot the amount of mercy that it took to redeem our soul in the kind of life that we were living in. One of the problems with the church is we forgot some things. We forgot how merciful God is. And he said, as I've been merciful to you, you're to be merciful to others. Hebrews chapter 4, God gives us an open door policy to his throne room. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Therefore let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Band, you guys come on. I'll come on and get your stuff. There is a place where we can go to obtain mercy. Y'all ready? You listening? There is a place, he said right there, come boldly into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. So we know there is a place right there that we can go to obtain mercy. But what Jesus taught us is don't come in here looking for it if you're not willing to give it. Don't come in here looking for mercy if you're not planning to leave here and be merciful. Don't come in here looking for my grace if you don't expect to take grace and, and share it with others. See, if we really want to be the church that, that reflects our Lord and our Savior, we must be a people full of mercy. Because mercy is the only thing that saves somebody like me. Let, let, can, can I plug y'all in? Y'all won't mind if I throw you into my party, will you? Mercy is the only thing that saves somebody like you. Mercy is the only thing that loved you where you were. Oh, I ain't the only heathen standing in here. Every one of us is going to get there the same way, the man on the cross in the middle. It's all about the blood. We all came. We're just like one of those two crosses on the side. We either reject him or accept him. There, there's two other men there, rejection, accepting. That, that's it, one of those two. The, the man on the middle cross is the only way we're going to get there, which means we all got there by mercy. And Jesus said... To whom much is given, much is. About half of you went ahead and joined me. All, all of you go ahead and throw that in there with me. Really? Much is required. That means we're to be a merciful people. The, the message is, why mercy? Why mercy? The answer is because we are a people of sin by nature. And we need mercy. But Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. See, I want to see God move. Y'all still doing Brandon Lake? I want to see God move. Y'all want to see God move? I want to see God move. And I want to be part of it. I want to see God move in this town. 
And I want this church to be part of it. I want to see God move on lost sinners and they come to know Christ. And I want to be part of it. I want to see God do something great in our Jerusalem, in our Judea. And I want us to be part of it. I, I don't want us to come sitting here and sit soaking sour on Sunday mornings. I don't want us to just be part of this is all about me. Come in and sing a great song, make everything about me. Get me out by 12 like that's ever going to happen. I, I don't want to make it all about us. I want us to make it all about Him. If we make it all about him, I've said it a lot of times, he'll make it all about us. But he'll make it about us by using us to reach them. Changing our surroundings. One soul at a time. It's a great slogan. I want it to be more than a slogan. I want it to be what defines who we are. The church in this town that is reaching the lost for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you guys, I want to ask you, Wood, to, to just stand and, and, and pray. I want to ask you to pray with me that God would make us usable. That God would use us. Listen, let me just tell you my take on judgment journey. People keep asking. We'll do judgment journey if and when God says to. Not a minute before. And it doesn't matter to me. If God, if you want us to do it, praise God. Let's get to work and let's do it. If you don't want us to do it, praise God. Show us what to do. That's all that matters to me. I don't need a certain program. I think that program became our hero. I think that sign right there needs to come down. I think it's a pride issue. Those numbers don't represent nothing else. We put that up there as numbers, but that's all about what God did. It's all about what God did. I think we need to get refocused on what God has done and what God can do. And it doesn't matter to me what a ministry looks like. God, just give us your vision, your ministry that you want us to do to reach that town with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus Christ, I, listen, when, when the trumpet sounds and the church pulls up out of this place, I want there to be a traffic jam getting out of Troop County, Georgia. I want the roads to be backed up trying to get out of our town. I don't want it to be a little scraggler for you. I want God to use us to make a difference.